Welcome to Executive Tools, Executive Priorities versus Calendar Chaos, Part 1. This cast answers these questions. What goes on in an executive calendar? How do I find time for what I need to do? How can I make more time for my priorities? Well, if you want answers to these questions and more, keep listening. Ever since we uh, talked about combating calendar chaos a while ago, we've gotten <laughs> more and more questions about the oh, details yeah. about managing all that. So, uh, beginning in 2023, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna get into that. Answer those. Yeah. It's actually interesting. I don't think people realize that when we put out guidance, people write into me and say, well, what about this? And what about this? And okay, can you go a step further than you did in the guidance? Cause I'm doing that right now. And I end up realizing, cause I try to be so careful about topics for podcasts. I end up realizing, oh my gosh, they need another podcast. Yeah. And in this particular case, the podcast wrote itself, if you will. I still had to type it all out, but <laughs> but all twenty five. All right, words then stop your complaining. Right, then, right exactly. how hard it is. <laughs> but you know, people would ask, "Well, what about this?" And so I'd write that, and I write that, and I realize, "Oh, well, this is a podcast right here." As long as we, you know, I think in a way, Mike, you and I got lucky because we said, "Okay, we're going to put out actionable guidance." Well. If people are asking me weekly, daily, frankly, what do I do in this situation? What do I do in this situation? Right? I say, okay, here's what you do. I We don't do what everybody else does, which says, well, be approachable, be a leader, be visionary, <laughs> right. all those kind of things. In fact, Sarah, at the at the last, uh, one of the last M-Conference speaker series talks, I think it was in September, uh, leading up to the RM conference in October of 2022, Sarah gave a talk about how so much of guidance is in adjectives, like being a certain way. And it's confusing for people because they don't know what to do. Um, so yeah, so this one kind of wrote itself, but it also was a bit of negative feedback to me that there was more to cover. I, you know, I don't want to, we don't want to leave people hanging, but it's just a pretty big topic. And People who are thinking their executives are like, okay, I didn't have anything. Now I have something. Gosh, it sounds like you could go just a little bit further than I really know what I need to do. So yes, and, and it's a good one because there's not there are not many executives that I've spoken with that have not at some point had to wrestle with this and figure it out. Oh, right, yeah, and nobody taught them, unfortunately. But they, yeah. you know, smart people figure it out eventually. But we can save folks a lot of time and energy here. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And in fact, the series this is part of, if you will, is part of executive missteps. Now, it's not like executives aren't smart people, good people, care about the organization and their people and so on. But without any training, they're going to end up in situations where they make missteps. And executives get promoted. They learn through those iterations about the increase in responsibilities they get. And finally, by their second or third time, they've got it right. But this guidance is for those people who are new executives or have never heard this before, and we can short circuit that and say, don't don't keep making mistakes and learn over the course of five years. Let's learn it all at once. And people get, you know, executives get overwhelmed with demands and they don't know how to deal with them. And that's what this cast is about. Cool. So what's our outline here? So first of all, we want to talk for just a minute about priorities and calendar alignment. A little bit will be a review, but not that much because I wanted to go further because clearly based on the questions I was getting, people didn't understand the case we were making for the alignment between calendars and priorities. I believe, Mike, that's because it really is ingrained in people's head that the calendar, our calendars are the places where meetings happen or where meetings are captured, 
right? It's just calendars have become this incredibly minimized thing. It's just a tactical digital device for allowing other people to get our time. And and that's not what calendars are for at all. They never were. They've just been overtaken by how people deal with their calendars. Then we'll talk a little bit about establishing your priorities. But frankly, that's a 10-part series that we will do in the course of this year and probably the next couple. And then we're going to talk about four distinct techniques you can use to defend your calendar. And I thought we talked about this in the previous one, but I don't think we did it well enough. So first, we're going to talk about declining outright, which probably scares people, but we'll give you some rationale that'll make it easier for you to do that. We're going to talk about asking your peers because they probably know what you can say no to and what you can't that's politically sensitive. There is the ability to rearrange things. And the last thing is to delegate. But we're also going to talk about delegation probably at a level deeper than we normally do. Great. Sounds like a good outline. Okay. So let's talk about priorities and calendar alignment, aligning those two things, which is yeah. you got to do, right? <laughs> Yeah. And and I've said this before, and I'm sure there'll people write in and say, you know, sometimes you guys say the same things over and over again. And I say, good. You know, Horseman's Law of Organizational Communication, say something seven times, half your people will tell you they heard it once. And I've told this story many, many times. If you take a known sample of 500 executives, and this is data we actually have, and you ask them to delineate their priorities in writing, okay? Then you ask please show me four to six weeks of your daily calendar, right? One page per day. So you can see everything from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And then you compare their calendars, what they what they said they were doing or what they say they're going to do with their priorities, with their stated priorities to determine how well their calendars reflect their priorities. And, and they're really bad, right? They're probably... You know, probably the calendar reflects only 50% of their priorities or something yeah, really 50%. bad like that. So, yeah, so I can, which 50%, when you say it like that, yeah, 50%, that'd be terrible. You know, imagine yourself being an individual contributor, a manager, a supervisor, a foreman, uh, a senior manager, a senior manager to a director, a director to an assistant VP, but not yet at the executive level. You would think 50% alignment between their priorities and their calendars would be bad. Right. Well, somebody on a, on a manufacturing line, line and they were only there, they, they were a production line worker, and they were only on line 50% of the time, you'd, you'd probably think there's something wrong, right? And in fact, I think there's an awful lot of chatter on the web about this discussion, and people say, well, it's busyness. And I think they're doing the wrong analysis. People are blaming they're saying, I'm feeling busy, but not accomplishing stuff. And some people actually defend themselves by saying, I can't do my job because I'm so busy, which is just, I, I find that really, really hard to believe or to stomach, frankly. But, oh, I, I've just got all this busyness. No, no, you're doing things that are on your calendar because believe me, people do things that are on their calendar. There is a rare subset of people who believe that being double and triple booked somehow shows they're awesome. It just shows they're idiots. And so we don't pay any attention to those people. But people are so wedded to or enthralled to their calendar, they just think that if they can make it through their calendar, okay. And a lot of that, that's fine. And a lot of the problem comes from the fact that calendars were digital calendars, uh, computerized calendars were introduced 
to people who had never learned how to manage a paper calendar and didn't understand the staffing that went in to make meetings happen before they came along. And don't get me wrong, I think electronic calendars are one of the coolest things ever. In fact, I've told people for many years, you've heard me say it, Mike, for many years when I was on uh, Windows machines, and now we're all on Apple, on Macs in our office, but I considered Outlook to be my OS, not Windows, which I think Windows is fantastic. But Outlook was the thing that I ran my life by. There was my calendar and then my to-dos and my email. And I absolutely loved it. But People think that if they get through their calendar, they're fine. And people believe that without even thinking for a minute, what must my priorities be? And people look at their calendar and say, I don't have time for my priorities. And I can assure you folks, if your CEO heard somebody say that and he had or she had an extra day, they'd say, let me come down there and show you how to do this. And they would quickly start aligning people in the right way. So anyway, all right, going back to my analysis or our our, our example of 500 executives. Again, we're going to compare their calendars to their priorities and see how well they're reflective of each other. By the way, guys, this actually happened. It happened to me in my previous firm, Horseman and Company, where I coached all of these executives. 500 is a rough approximation. It might've been as much as 550. These were all coaching clients of mine. And That was the first thing I asked. If they wanted to be coached by me, I wanted to know two things. What do you say your priorities are? And then what is your calendar? I wanted to find out how bad off they were, because even if I helped them with the behavioral tick that their boss had hired me or one of my people to work on, it wouldn't matter if they weren't, in fact, working on their priorities. They could fix all their behavioral tics in the world and stop yelling and screaming, but they wouldn't, in fact, be any good at their job. So Mike said 50%. I'll, I'll leave it to you all on your own to guess what percentage of those executives out of that 500 would have a strong alignment. And the answer is 0.2%, one-fifth of a percent. And if you do the math, way Mike and I do, because we're engineers, that means one out of the 500 or so managers, executives that I coached, one had strong alignment between his calendar and his uh, priorities. Once again, the the high C was too optimistic. (laughs) Yes, yes, of course, exactly. That's always the problem. That's always my problem. Yeah. There were about only 30% who were average and then 70% were weak. And, and by the way, when somebody challenged me on this a few weeks ago, when I sent them this data in answer to their question to our podcast, they said, well, 30% can't be average if 70% are weak. Actually, weak is average. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said average. Okay. Strong, something else, and weak. I don't know what it is. The group in the middle. Yeah. I mean, these are the people who are setting not just their own calendars, but essentially uh, down, having downstream effects on everybody else's calendar. Now, what I thought of, I every time I think about this data, I get upset. And then I think, wait, this is a great opportunity for manager tools, community managers, and executives to shine by essentially solving this problem, getting upstream right away. Now, look, some people could say right now, you could make the case that those were all executives that needed coaching. Right. Oh, well, you know, only executives who 
are in trouble need coaching. And maybe that's why the, you know, that's a, it's a bad, it's not a random sample of all executives. And it's a fair point to make. I agree, but it only goes so far because generally speaking, execs who are failing don't get coaching. Some do, but most don't. Now they may have a weakness, but they're not failing. Uh, and look, we're all humans. So we all have weaknesses. Uh, in fact, the majority of the execs in this sample of 500 were actually performing pretty well, but had an area that needed improvement. And some of their bosses who hired me said, you know, I really need you to fix X. I don't really care about anything else. And I said, you know what? I'm not doing that. I, I learned I'm not doing that because I don't like being associated with going in and fixing a verbal tick that somebody has, which is actually not that hard. And then having them continue to fail because that implies that you determine that their problem was this verbal tick. And then if we could get rid of that, they would be successful. But I know that's not true. And if I then agree to only fix the tick, which happens for some executives, then by extension of your logic, since I'm working for you, Mr. Executive, whom I'm coaching boss, I'm essentially saying, yes, fixing the verbal tick is what matters. But look, even if we discount the numbers in this thing, because this was not a, we accept the premise that, oh, this is a bad sample. And that these weren't exceptionally high performing execs, even though some were, the number is still horrible. It's just not even, you can't even argue about it. And look, that's the, the background that I have in my head all the time when I start thinking about coaching executives. And when I think about calendars, we have been making this case repeatedly for two decades. I'm sure Mike sees this periodically. He's like, haven't we covered this? Haven't we beaten this dead horse? But let's be clear, folks. Your calendar is not a place for meetings. Okay? It's not. That's not what your calendar exists for. It happens to be one of the things. It's sort of an additional duty of your calendar, but it is not the reason your calendar exists. Remember, when you're an executive, your workload triples. You can't carry the same misalignment of priorities and time that you've been getting away with, probably through sheer hard work and time away from your family, into your executive life once you get promoted to an executive level. And the real simple reason is a human one. Because now thousands of other professionals' careers and incomes rely on you, you alone, to be making world-class decisions about not just how to, to do things, because that's what managers want guidance on, is how to do things, but on what things to do. It's a beauty of being an executive and having leverage, because you can just really ruin people's lives. It's great. Oh. Thanks, for, thanks for pointing yeah. that out, too. Thanks to for us. playing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You know, I, I got to tell you, people miss this point about the transition to executive level so, so often. It's mentioned a lot, this change from how to do things versus deciding on what to do. It's mentioned in management literature, but it's they use soft words like leadership and strategic and holistic that it's lost on people. If people are trying to throw around big words, it's stupid. So here it is as plainly as we can put it. As managers, we're responsible for achieving the goals of the processes and the outputs and the systems of the organization. Executives, on the other hand, set the goals of the organization and provide guidance for the development of the processes and systems of the organization. This means a massive and fundamental difference 
in the work and thinking of managers versus executives. Managers are worried about what needs to get done. Okay. Executives decide what's going to get done. Just because you've been doing the thing doesn't mean you know that that thing is better than this other thing. That's a completely, it's a difference between how and why. And why is always the big question, right? He who has a why can handle almost any how. That's, I can't remember who said that. It's a, I, I want to say it's a famous general. And look, managers generally have a full plate just with the deliverable tasks of themselves and of their team, just managing themselves and their team, full plate. Everyone probably listening agrees with that. And that's based on established and required processes. That's an operational mindset. Get this work done. And this work is necessary because we've set ourselves up to do our, provide value to our external customers and community and society in this way. And nobody listening has ever been a manager and wondered like, why am I doing these things? I'm spending yes. all this time doing this, and it doesn't seem to have any impact on the, yeah. the organization. I'll tell you something else. They don't think they have the authority to change it, and everybody at the top of their organization assumed at the very beginning when they were managers that no, surely no one expects me to work with a system that I think is wrong. And so every CEO, when she was a manager, she was changing things. She was changing the what's and the how's and so on to make it more efficient. Yeah, as a manager, can't wait. as a manager, yeah, right? as a manager. And, yes. and the great thing is, you can you get, you earn extra points if you do that as a manager. As an executive, you have oh. no choice, right? That's yeah. the difference. Yeah. yeah, you don't win any extra points because that's how the points are determined. Yes, yeah. exactly. So you have the operational mindset as a manager, but when you become an executive, we have to decide which work is or is not necessary. This is very different. We have to determine without templates or guidance, for the most part anyway, the work we deem necessary. We deem it. We are the org. We speak for the company. We get to decide, which is a funny way to put it because that's what managers who strive to become executives want, to get to decide. The problem with that desire is that when we do get to decide, now we must decide it's our job. And most managerial development teaches us how to work within processes and systems, not to decide on what the processes and systems should be or what its output should be. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. too bad. So much of the work of the executive of deeming what is necessary and what is not is, is interestingly, and this is where managers really get sort of blindsided. It's based on external factors, things outside of the organization, not outside of your organization, but outside of the entire organization. And it's also based on the future. And both of those things, external factors and the future, are inherently unknowable. That is very different from working within established processes and systems. Your workload as an executive is going to be more complex because of these differentials between executive and manager. If you already had a full calendar as a manager, and then your workload of just stuff that you have to do, not priorities, just stuff, suddenly triples, you have got to take charge of your calendar, and you have got to be assassin-like in addressing things to the point of potentially risking relationships and having to repair them in order to carve out enough time to do something that you have not previously done before which is to say, decide what is to be done and what is not to be done and the why behind it. And 
Because most managers are unaware of what amounts to a seismic transition in their careers, we've talked before about, we did a cast on yes and no, uh, we called it the S-curve cast, and the difference between managers and executives is the jump from one S-curve to another. Because we're unaware of this and this transition, we all think we would rather things be just naturally progressive and just a new iteration on our existing knowledge. So we continue to practice our same managerial level administration hab- administrative habits, right? Like calendar management, while we're being asked to do something radically different. All that said, we're being asked to do something new, deciding what is and what is not to be done while using our existing calendar system, which we have only used on doing what is supposed to be done versus deciding on what is to be done. And it's it's just super easy to miss the danger of allowing our standard tactical process of calendar management to affect our ability to accomplish our new strategic responsibilities. Look, your calendar is your plan for and the record of your time spent on your priorities. It's not the place where you just keep track of all the meetings you have to attend. Yeah, as we said before, meetings are on your calendar. But those meetings that are on, that are on executive calendars must serve our priorities, whatever we decide those things are. We rarely say must here at Manager Tools. I'm no, I'm, Mike, I'm preempting you going, did you just say must? Because I think you told me once that we're, we rarely say must or should around or should, here. Yeah. Yeah, should should see other. I wrote that down. I was going to give you some feedback. Yeah. Later, <laughs> Thank you. I wouldn't do it publicly. Yeah, of course, wouldn't be feedback then. Must brooks no opposition. It's like the word unacceptable. People say all the time, oh, this is unacceptable. Well, apparently it's not <laughs> apparently, acceptable because right. you just accepted it. It just happened, right? Uh, a primary, another good one. No primary. I have five primary factors. No, you have one primary factor and four other things beneath. Not so primary. primary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway. With the massive increase in demands for your time, as for our time as executives, we will not excel if we don't make the management of our time, which, by the way, time being our ultimate irreplaceable resource, unlike money, we won't be able to achieve it if we don't become highly effective at managing our calendar, wrestling it into alignment with our priorities. But this then causes the $64,000 question. So, Ms. Executive, what are your priorities? And this is where, again, the alignment was just so bad that you're just like, oh, God, they don't have them. They don't have, they can't say them. We we mentioned earlier our data about executive priorities, about being out of whack with their calendars. What we didn't say was the obvious prerequisite that in order for your calendar to match or support your priorities, you got to be able to say your priorities clearly, right? Most people who hear that 500 executive story Assume that the priorities were clear, but calendars didn't support them. But folks, roughly only one-third of those executives had clear priorities. One-third of the 500. That's amazing. So only one-third could have been strongly aligned to begin with. And these are executives. Imagine that you're you're in a meeting and you're a manager, you're an individual contributor, and you're looking up five levels. And somebody says, what are our priorities for next year? And the executive says, well, we're working on those. And it's February. What are we going to do it? We're going to get them in March when one third, one, one fourth of the year is already gone. Yeah. We're all then going to spend, we're going to figure out during the rest of the year, which also includes the time between Thanksgiving and Christmas, which you ought to write off in terms of productivity for the most part. You're telling us that we have 
three-fourths of a year to do four-fourths of the work, it's not a really good recipe for measuring. So at least, by the way, one executive that was in this group had a sense of humor and said, hey, because I don't have priorities, my messed up calendar is an accurate reflection of my priorities. I'm like, yeah, yeah, funny. Funny, I'll tell your boss you told me that when I send him the Funny, bill. you can tell that yeah. in the unemployment office. They love yes, that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, if you have to spend even one second thinking about your priorities, folks, they aren't your priorities. If your directs can't repeat your priorities verbally within five seconds or point to them in written form on their desks, you don't have priorities. You might think that you do actually have priorities, but you simply have a communication problem. My directs don't know it. Fair enough. I understand that logic. It's twisted logic. It's incorrect logic. It's non-organizational logic. It's selfish, individualistic logic. But that rationale is really not available to executives. So if you do have priorities and you have a communication problem, solve that communication problem ASAP. Because in organizational land, if your people don't know your priorities and you're an executive, you don't have priorities. That's the standard. It is not enough that you know what they are. They must have been communicated to the point ad nauseum where your organization knows what they are. All right, folks, we'll finish this one up next time. Thanks, dude. Thanks, partner. We'll see you later.